0: We should expect for there to be anti-Christian, anti-godly authorities that try to dethrone God and de-deify Christ. We should expect new religions to come upon the scene all the time that claim to be the way, an angel of light, Satan masquerades as an angel of light, so it'll appear to be good on the surface, but as you dig down deep inside, you know that its purpose is to de-deify Christ and to take away the Savior. Today. 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 Today with Jeff finds pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher.
1: Hello, my name is Bill. Welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. We're continuing with Pastor Jeff in a series on Revelation. So far, we've looked at grace and judgment, the spiritual battle in our world today. And in this episode, Pastor Jeff wraps up his message about the end of history and being either extremely close to God or extremely far from Him. Here's Pastor Jeff with the rest of this message.
0: This past week, we had our first rooted graduation. We had a huge group in this place. I mean, rooted is our course that people go through that just is this life changing. You, you, you began to understand who God is, what prayer is, how to do a devotional life. It is an amazing. And we took our first graduates through it. And I want to say to them or say to you what I said to them. And I want you to, can you, can you give me some grace here? Look, can I say, you I know I got issues. You, we, I know we all do. I got that, but I still got to speak the truth. Even if it hurts me too. Right. And here's the reality of this. Sometimes I'm sitting over here on a weekend and I'm worshiping and I look back at you and you just don't look like you woke up. I mean, I'm sorry, you look dead. And a part of me wants to get out of my chair. Okay, these are things, this is the uh, confessions of a pastor. Part of me wants to get out of my chair and walk down the aisle and just pick out somebody. And let's say their name is Tim, okay? And I walk through, and I want to walk through the aisle during the worship and I want to tap you on the shoulder and I'll say, hey, I'm Jeff, who are you? I'm Tim, let me shake hands. And then there's a part of me that wants to say, can I ask you some questions? Have you been saved? Do you know Jesus? Are you on your way to heaven? Are you the recipient of the greatest gift of grace ever known to humanity? Has God not begun a good work in you? Has he not promised to complete it until the day of redemption? Are you not a winner? And if he says, yes, I am, then I want to shove him and say, then praise Jesus. (laughs) Praise Jesus. Now, praise Jesus. I mean, we're supposed to be the ones that have been awakened. We're we're supposed to come in here excited. We're awake, man. We see the world as it really is. We see God as he really is. We see each other as we really are. We're supposed to be awake. You say, well, that's not my personality. I'm not buying that because I've seen you at Dodger games. (laughs) I've seen you. I've seen you at Laker games. I've seen you at angel games. I've seen some of you when your eight year old boy hits a home run. Yeah, that's my boy. It's not that you're not passionate. You're just not passionate about the right stuff. Look, we've done everything we can. We've gone out. We've could. And we've gone out and got what I believe one of the best worship leaders in our country. And that's uh, Jeremiah Mullen. We've got Ryan Beerman over at Lone Hill. We've got Chris Fink over at Etowanda. We are trying our best. Some of you say, it's too loud. We're working on that too. It depends on where you sit in the room. Some people say, it's not loud enough. I can't please everybody. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. It, it, I shouldn't have to. I should not have to. Come on. Let me, let me give you an example. I despise country music, despise it. <laughs> it's from the dragon himself. But after 9-11, I actually stood and sang God Bless the USA by Lee Greenwood. Why did I sing it? Did I sing it because I love country music? No, I sang it because the words resonated and it it galvanized me with the rest of my American brothers and sisters. When you come in here, music galvanizes us. You say, well, I don't know the words. Learn them! You say we keep doing the same songs over and over because you haven't learned them yet. <laughs> you learn them, we'll move on. I, I, I listen. I know what this is like. I know what it's like. I I, I drive around in my car listening to Sirius Radio 80s music. That's all you'll ever find in my car. 80s music. Why? Because in my opinion, no good songs have been written since. All right. But but wait a minute, that's just my opinion, right? A lot of you are going to beg to disagree. All right, other than Coldplay, other than Coldplay. So here's the point, here's the point. Everybody has a favorite. Everybody has the way they think things should go. It's impossible. How about, you, how about we come to church and we say, you know, Ma, no matter what's happening, I'm going to praise the Lord. Yes. Even, even if I have to put earplugs in and read the words on the screen, but I'm going to praise the Lord. And it's not, we'll work with you. We're trying to, we're doing our best. Believe me, we are. But there's no way we're going to please everybody because church is not about you. It's about God. I'm telling you, I I can sing any style of music and I can worship to any song. I can, I just can. Now that's one of the things I'm going to say. Very seldom when you hear me say, you should be like me. (laughs) You should not be like me. This is one case you should be like me. I can sing and worship because it's about God, and I can find a way, no matter what's going on, to just praise the Lord. And you should too. Wake up! Now, listen. Here's what happens. By the way, let me say quickly: worship is the greatest apologetic to the to modern day people. The word used to be, and the word still does not return void. It's still powerful. But if you want people who are far from God to come near to God, here, they're, I'm telling you, they're not looking for a 40 minute message. They're not. What they're looking for is when they come in those back doors that there's authenticity and the people are who they say they are. And so they want to know when they come in, if when you're, when you're standing in worship time, when you're standing like this and I come in as a veteran say, dude, man, I mean, the guys on stage are excited, but you're dead man walking. (laughs) Can I mention that movie? Two movies that really affected me. One Prince of Tides, which I don't suggest you see. And the other dead man walking, dead man walking. Susan Saranda plays a nun that goes into a prison to encourage a man to repent before he faces death row, before he faces lethal injection. And on the way to lethal injection, everyone on the jailhouse floor says dead man walking because he may be walking, but he's going to be dead in a matter of moments. Do you know that chapter 20 verse five says, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. I love this. That means everybody's dead. (laughs) After Christ, everybody's dead. Some wake up. And those are the ones, the spirit of God opens your eyes and you know what the world is like now and you know what to expect and you're living for a purpose greater than yourself. But he says the rest of them, they stay dead. They stay asleep. And I'm telling you, you can have all the money in the world and be dead man walking. You can have the greatest possession or greatest position. You can achieve your goals and be dead man or dead woman walking. You can come to church every week and be dead man, dead woman walking. It's not what you say. If I were to follow you in your life, let me tell you, can I, can I just be honest with you? Some of you are manipulators. You are the extreme manipulator. You use everybody around you and God to get what you th- think will save you. And then you justify it by saying that, well, I'm doing a righteous thing. That's why Revelation is presented as Jesus with eyes of fire. He looks right into your heart and he knows who you are. You can be dead man walking and have the greatest deeds or even intentions, but it's about waking up and having life change, not being sucked into the vortex of this world, not drifting along without intentionally, not buying into a world system that's doomed for failure and end and not being defensive when people call you out. Yes. And so verse six says, blessed and holy is he who has, fir- who has part in the first resurrection. Isn't this beautiful? Blessed are we. One of seven beatitudes in the book of Revelation. Over such, the second death has no power. I <laughs> stopped. You got that right. For those of us who have experienced the first resurrection, which is death to self and life to God, there's no reason to fear death. Because death is not death, it's just new life. And they shall be called the priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. We are reigning, we are priests of God. Did you hear that? Now, stay with me. You are a priest, you are a pastor. You are a minister, first Peter, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light, which tells me that during the age of the church, you and I are, you do understand I am not the only pastor in this room. I am the pastor with the gift of communication, but everybody in this room is a pastor, everybody. And the question is, what's your gift? You are a minister. Everything ended when we could go into the temple and we go into the Holy of Holies, that we are all filled with the power of the Spirit of God. You are part of the priesthood of all believers, which means you got to really watch the way you live, people watching you. There's an expectation about you. But let me tell you what else it means. It means, according to Ephesians 5, it means that we are to be filled with the Spirit, not intoxicated With money or possessions or prestige not intoxicated with pursuits that we know will end poorly we are to be intoxicated with the spirit of god so that we can make the most and take advantage of every opportunity now well here's what he means for those of us who understand that we're priests every day of your life god is going to send these little opportunities your way and if you're walking in the spirit and you know that you're a pastor a minister a priest Then when those opportunities come, you make the most of them. You don't let them pass by and you don't call the church. You're at coffee class or Starbucks. Somebody comes up and says, hey, hey, I I think I've been to your church one time and I recognize you. Man, I I really need somebody to help me. My marriage isn't going well. I need somebody to pray. The first thing you do is not get out your cell phone and call the church. Why? Because you are the church. You're the pastor. You're the priest. You're the minister. You put your arm around them. You pray for them and you lead them to what is true. And there's no, way, there's no way that we can take the valley until each of us realize that we're all pastors. Now, you might come to a time when you need help, and I, I get it, I get that, and you call us. I got that. But your first move is to be a pastor, be a priest. Take advantage of those God moments, those opportunities that come your way. Feed somebody who's hungry. clothe somebody who needs clothing. Give somebody a drink who, who is thirsty. Visit somebody in prison that needs you. Rescue those who are perishing, care for those who are dying, right? Those who are with addictions, come alongside them and love them and tell them, hey, you're not the only one, we're in this together. Now, here's how he ends it. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, God and Magog, and together them for battle. Now, I gotta be quick, so follow me here. Just like every other vision, the other five, it always ends with the day of judgment. So does this one. It presents it in a different way, but it's still the day of the wrath of God, the day of judgment when everybody's held accountable for the life they've lived. And so there's a little short time near the end where the Bible says that God is going to release Satan just for a short time. And in the original language, this is a short time. And in this short time, what is he going to do? He's not going to be restricted. The chains are off. He's going to go out to the four corners of the earth. And we would not understand this if we did not understand the code language of Gog and Magog. By the time John is writing, rabbis used Gog and Magog as code words. Remember remember, we learned that uh, Babylon was really a code word for, Ro- for Rome? In the time of John's writing, Sodom and Gomorrah had already become code language for abominations against God, and Gog and Magog had become code language for, based on Ezek- Ezekiel 38 and 39, for people who war against God, the ultimate enemies of God. Some of the greatest battles took place against the people of God, some of the greatest devastation in Gog and Magog. And so by the time John writes, it's a code word now. Sodom and Gomorrah, abominations to God. Gog and Magog, the enemies of God, the ultimate enemies of God. And so Satan is released for a short time. What is this? We've already heard about this in a previous vision in, Luke, in Revelation chapter 16. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains unclothed. Isn't that great? Stays awake. Stays awake. Awake. Hello? Stays awake. Okay? That's what I'm just saying. And remains closed so as not to go naked and shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. So here's what we're talking about. Gog and Magog is another way of talking about the enemies of God and then Armageddon. Notice the Bible says in the Hebrew Armageddon. In the Hebrew. Because there's no such place as Armageddon. But the Hebrew word for mountain is the word har, And the Hebrew Megiddo is representation of all the Old Testament battles that were fought against the people of God. So this is not a literal place. It's apocalyptic literature. There's a symbol, there's a code. What's the code? It's man's final effort as in the tower of Babel in Genesis 11 to climb the mountain and defeat and dethrone God. You with me? Armageddon is not a physical battle between China and Russia. And what's amazing, this is where I get frustrated with biblical, with a commentary sometimes, because they will talk about who's going to take place or who's going to fight in the battle of Armageddon. And it seems to always coincide with whoever America's enemies are at the time. Wow. Because we see this so much through American eyes rather than through the eyes of John. Har and Megiddo are simply a symbol Another symbol to represent the wrath of God, the final effort of man to reach God, to usurp his throne. And this has been the devil's plan from the beginning. So let me see if I can kind of summarize what happens here. In the next verse, in number, they are like the sand of the seashore. There's no earthly army that big. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people and the city he loves. So again, the symbolism is that there's gonna be a final battle and it's not China, it's not Russia, it's not Iraq, it's not Iran. These are the armies of Satan led by the devil himself. And it's a battle that doesn't last very long. <laughs> the next verse says, by fire, came, but fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now stay with me. Let me let me summarize the story for you in Revelation 20. First of all, I love that part. They gather the armies. So according according to to biblical history, the day is going to come that, uh, let me let me put it like this. You and I should expect everything that's happening to happen, war, famines, floods, uh, for the temporariness of planet earth to be exposed and for you and I to live for eternal purposes. We should expect for there to be anti-Christian, anti-godly authorities that try to dethrone God and de-deify Christ. We should expect new religions to come upon the scene all the time that claim to be the way an angel of light, an angel of light, Satan masquerades as an angel of light, so it will appear to be good on the surface, but as you dig down deep inside, you know that its purpose is to de-deify Christ and to take away the Savior, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You should expect those things to happen. They're coming, and they will be strong. They will be alluring. They will be seductive. They will be enticing. But there will be people who stay strong, and they will live their purpose or their lives for a purpose greater than themselves. And there's coming the time at the end of the 1,000 years, at the end where he says, this far, no further. And my understanding of scripture is this. And as I said before, you're free and welcome to disagree. This is not a test of faith. Do I think I'm right? Yeah, I do. I'd be crazy if I I didn't, but I don't know everything and neither do you. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We may disagree on revelation, but we, we agree on this. There's only one name under the heavens by which we are called to be saved. And one day he's coming back and we're all going to heaven, bottom line. Okay? now here's the way i understand the scripture one day god says enough is enough the dead in christ rise first those people that we've loved and lost to meet him in the air and then we who are left behind we go up there to meet them so i'll meet my mom and dad who have passed away and the reason he removes us from planet earth is because the next thing that happens is the battle of Armageddon. And the battle of Armageddon is not a literal battle on earth. It is a spiritual battle between Jesus on the white horse and Michael, the archangel. And they gather the armies of heaven against Satan and against the kings and the authorities of the earth past, present, who have defeated or tried to debunk God and de-deify Christ. And they come together in this final spiritual warfare between the angels and the demons and the people of God and the people of Satan. And there is war in heaven. And it happens so fast because basically they all gather themselves together and then boom, it's over. It reminds me of that scene in the movie, Indiana Jones. You remember the scene where the guy comes out and Indiana Jones just takes out his gun, bang, and walks away. That's what I imagine Armageddon is like, just this spiritual battle where we've been removed because we are protected, we've been removed. And all of a sudden they come out and they're firing and Satan's blowing smoke out of his mouth and fire out of his mouth and his horns are smoking, whatever he looks like, who knows? These are all symbols anyway. And boom, all of a sudden Jesus just goes, just deal with this, gone. (laughs) And then the new heaven and the new earth. Now, here is the point that's so important. I got to do this like in three minutes. so I'm going to go into rapid fire. You've probably gotten by now that I don't believe that there is a literal thousand years that happens, that Jesus comes back and then people stay on earth a thousand years. You probably know that I don't believe that Uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, Primarily because I believe that the scripture teaches... Simultaneous events happen at the same time. The dead in Christ rise. We meet him in the air. The battle of Armageddon takes place. The wicked go before the great white throne of judgment. The the righteous go before the Bema seat of Christ. So each of us are going to go to one of two thrones. And the cool thing about this is you get to choose. Now you get to choose. Those who go before the great white throne are the people who decided that they were going to relate to God on the basis of their works. And so if that's the way you choose to relate to God, if you think you can get to heaven by being just good, then God's going to open a big book. Imagine us writing a book, a story of your life, and and writing down all the deeds you've ever done and selling it in the bookstore. Would you want that? No. But if you want to relate to God on the basis of works, then he will show you your works and show you, hey, you're not as good as you think you are. And you go before the great white throne of judgment But if you're a Christ follower and you realize, man, I don't have enough good words. I mean, it's not the way it goes. It's it's not about works. It's about what Jesus did for me, his work on the cross. Then you go before the Bema seat and they open book. And that is the place where you find out your reward. Are there degrees of reward in heaven? Yes, there are. You say, won't we be jealous and envious of each other? No, you won't because you will see God as he really is. And all sin will dissipate and we'll rejoice for one another, but there will be different degrees of reward. For instance, I'll be driving a Merc, and do will have a skateboard. But hey, that's another story. <laughs> Just kidding. But here's the clincher: in Matthew seven, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Okay, I want everybody to stand up. Here's how we're going to close this thing together. You ready? Jesus says, "Jesus says, if you're really in, you're going to have some fruit." Now, we don't judge each other. Because some people have more fruit than others, but some people have more baggage than others. Some people have more things to overcome than others. So we don't judge each other. You understand? We, don't know, we do not judge each other. We encourage each other. But the reality is the Bible does teach that if you're really in, if you've had a transformational experience with Jesus Christ, there are gonna be some differences in your life. Zacchaeus, when he met Jesus, sold half his goods. Matthew left his job. Peter left his father. There's gonna be some transformation in you. There's gonna be some fruit. So I'm asking you today, to have a defining moment. If you've never received Christ after the service, there are going to be some counselors here. I'm going to ask you to come forward and let them pray for you and receive Christ. For the rest of us, I'm going to ask you to repeat after me and make a covenant from this day forward. Are you ready? And act like you're awake. So you might want to talk a little loudly. All right? The first part is easy. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus thank, you for my thank you for my salvation. Secured through the cross. Secured through the cross. I acknowledge that I am saved by grace, I saved by grace. through faith. Through faith. I, want the fruit of my life I want the fruit of my life to correspond with what I say I believe. To to what I say I believe. So today I'll make, so make a covenant with you. I will bring the first fruits of my life into the storehouse. I will bring, I will bring the first fruits of my life into the storehouse. that your kingdom might, be in my life. That kingdom might be expanded in my life and in this church, in this church to which you've called me. To which you called me. I will build your kingdom first I will build your kingdom through the resources you've blessed me with. I will make my very best effort to think the thoughts of God, to, the of God. to do the deeds of God, to do the deeds of God in my everyday living. In my everyday living. Help, me to resist. Help me to resist the seduction of this world, the of this world. In, which I live. in which I live that Satan controls. That Satan controls. And, I will make
1: every
0: and I will make every effort to progress the gospel, to progress the gospel. In, my community. in my community with my neighbors, with my neighbors. In, the workplace. in the workplace and with my one life. God help, me God help me to live my life, live my life for, eternity. for eternity. All right, let's clap, Amen. One hope one, one hope, one life in Christ. One hope, one life in Christ. One hope, one life in Christ.
1: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this Just search for today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me wanna dance and sing with every single breath I breathe. I will break this offering. You are my wonder. You bring the wonder. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines.